This is HPR episode 2686 entitled Not All About Blender, Part the Second. It is hosted by Mirror Shades and is about 40 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is A meandering conversation to soothe the nerves and warm the soul, Part 2 exclamation. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. places where you can get the the car up to as fast as you can get it and hit the turbo right as you get to these little ramps uh-huh. and if you can find one that's like sometimes the ones like right next they're like staggered left yeah. and right on the side of the track well if you hit it like cockeyed like in the corner sometimes you can jump like whole sections of the track yeah and land over here and that got me wondering like okay and i started experimenting i spent a lot way more time than i should probably admit to just fucking with that and then one day i found there's like i wonder what happens if will it let me like i found this one i can't remember it was one of the later tracks and uh there's a huge amount of the track almost half the track that you can jump and it's really, 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 really hard to do. And I sat there like all day trying to make that stupid jump and I kept crashing out and crashing out. Finally, I did it. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm gonna see the game crash or something's gonna yeah. happen. And it, it landed it. And obviously the programmers had thought of that ahead of time. So this little weird, you know, in F-Zero, like the little um, section, like at the very beginning of the track that you can get over in and the little beam comes down and heals yeah. your car. It looks like that, except the beam is red instead of yellow or whatever, and it drags you back. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. It drags you back to a certain point, and it's like, uh, yeah. But it was funny that they actually had thought, you know what they I mean? They thought about it, like, yeah, we're going to skip that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, too, because, like, looking at, like, menu editors, or, like, um, map editors for, like, different games, kind of seemed like the... Kind of like the hidden ways that they do things, and you're just you're piecing together in your head like, man, somebody sat there and thought like, I don't know, they're going to do this. How do you put a, like an invisible barrier there? And just to see. Well, and to be fair too, they have the guys that sit around and play test that. Probably yeah. Find some of those bugs for them, but yeah, it is still cool. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's kind of interesting to see not only that, but the things that were like missing, like the glitches that, like apparently. Oh, like unfinished levels and stuff that are yeah. still in games people discover? There's, there's a, apparently, I was watching a YouTube video of this where somebody was talking about in Mario 64, uh, you have rows of coins that are always in groups of five. Except for this one area where it's only four. And they thought, like, why did they, why, did, why are there only four there instead of, like, every single other batch is always in five? 
and uh, they started checking the game code, and the way it happens is a certain XY position, well, XYZ position, where they place a spawner, and then it will like, branch out and like, drop down coins, and they can do it either in the line, or they can do it in a ring, or maybe one or two other shapes, but it's like, that one, the way it was placed, it would drop down, but since one of them ended up being underneath the ground, because it was on, like, right on the ramp, so it just kind of like fell off into space and like despawned. And it would do that every time you approach it, it would spawn all five, one of them fall through and despawn. And they was wondering, like, so that's a glitch, like, if they just moved it up, it'd be fine, but all the other markers in the game, they're always at a certain height, but this one's, like, placed really low. And they got to checking the rest of the, the area around it and determined that the ground on that level was at a certain height, but then they, they kind of went by later and, like, artificially raised that portion of the map. And it's the, it has to do with, there's, a, like, a ball spawner, and then it would just kind of, like, the balls go to track around the mountain. Originally, they were meant to go the other direction. And they, they determined this just by kind of seeing where the, the spawner should have been placed initially, seeing the angle of the ramp, and then realizing that it was actually increased so that the balls could go the other way. And then they realized like half the level had been redes redesigned around that concept. Hmm. All just because there was four coins instead of five. <laughs> and it's like, one, someone spent way too much time on that, and two, someone spent exactly enough time on that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of uh, stuff, even today, like, like hidden stuff that still comes out. I think I read somewhere that there was uh, still wooden, one hidden Easter egg, I think, in the original Mortal Kombat that one's found. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there are some really deeply hidden mm -hmm. ones, too. Like, because... I don't know if it was the first one, but there's something like you had to defeat somebody so many times and then like a certain time and like certain levels and just certain combinations and then like you fall through the floor and then all this other stuff and you have like, like an additional character or something like that. And it was just like ridiculous all the stuff you had to go through. Yeah, there's some really goofy stuff. Like in the, I think the first Mortal Kombat we know there's like the the reptiles in character, and there's a bunch of clues yeah. to how to unlock him. Or, well, you don't really unlock him, you just get to fight against him. And then he's a regular playable character in two, and there was three hidden characters in two. But there was also some other. Yeah, there was, there's Jade, Smoke, and Noob Saibot in two. And uh, the weird thing about Mortal Kombat 2, though, it had other weird little Easter eggs, too. Like, if you fought 250 matches in a row without losing. It would you would stop and it would let you play like uh, Pong, like the original yeah. Pong, and I think they had a similar thing like that in three, but it was Joust instead of Pong because Midway was the big factor there. And yeah, Joust was an old Midway game. Um, That's a good need to update for for the modern generation. Mm -hmm. Fly around in a Joust, a souped up ostrich jousting thing. I think it would be cool to see some of the old, um, like there were some interesting games, like I remember my first console was Atari 2600, so yeah. like there was, there were some games like Activision had out that, um, like Star Master, nobody remembers Star Master, but Star Master was a weird game because it, um, you're in a ship, so essentially your TV was like your 
you know, you're looking through the cockpit, basically. Yeah. It was like a first-person kind of thing. And you had a star map that you could uh, bring up. And the way you did that, the way they, because, you know, the 2600s are limited. There's a switch on the 2600 that uh, switches from color TV to black and white TV. Yeah. And uh, in, in uh, Star Master, they use that switch to switch between your regular view, looking out of the cockpit, and your star map view. Nice. So you, yeah, you flip the switch, and, and there's the the map of the area you're in, and you can uh, there's like these little refueling stations that you have to hit uh, because going to like there's little, little dots that represent the um, the enemy ships that you got to destroy, uh, and going to them from the star map zooms you there, so it eats up a bunch of your fuel, so you have to go to these little uh, and you have to dock with them, which is really hard because it's hard to keep it on the screen and get it to dock and then refuel your ship but um, they're usually the enemy ships are in clusters so they're like sometimes one sometimes two sometimes three and you'll have to destroy all of them once you get all of the map cleared you essentially beat the game or you beat that yeah. part of the game but it's not a you don't get an ending there's no real story it just plays a stupid little doo 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 that's it that's all you get that's all you get that's you have pride yeah <laughs> There's a, it actually sounds like a game called like Elite something. Um, it was a first person space shooter kind of thing. But there was this whole concept where it's like in order to get to certain areas you had to, you constantly had to dock with like space stations in order to refuel and when you first do it you have to match like the rotation and the angles and you have to yeah. Not a really specific way, or you crash. Like you crash so many times, <laughs> you can finally do it. But the the point is, you're trying to buy cheap and sell, you know, buy low and sell high. But like in like different quadrants and stuff, you're trying to like plan out fuel usages and try not to get like hijacked by space pirates and all this until you can finally save up to buy a docking computer. So you can, when you go, you like, and then just dock for you. But the whole point of the game is just to, you know acquired wealth throughout the galaxy. Huh. But there's not really much beyond that, but it's like you, you just kind of fly around, you know, in order to get to, like, the remote edges, you have to essentially save up, you know, through trades in order to, you know, buy fuel to get there. And I think there's, like, some uh, warp gates that so can go to, like, other pocket universes kind of deal. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds kind of like that. It's weird the, the stuff they came up with on that console because it was so... Like, there were some games like Megalomania, too, that was just like a shoot-em-up game. It'd be interesting to see that every now and then, or Demon Attack. Yeah. Did you ever see Demon Attack? That was kind of weird. These weird bird things. They would, they would fly around right. the screen and poop on you, basically. <laughs> you had to shoot them. And sometimes they would... When you shot them, they would destroy them. They would reform. That sounds weird. It's like you could shoot the wings off of them, or you could shoot them in the middle, and then the wings, you know, the wings would die too, or something like that. They would. Some of them, depending on which level you were on, you would shoot them, and they'd split into two smaller ones. And uh, uh, was there like a spaceship at the end? That you know, to, I don't remember. I don't know that I ever got to the end. Let's see if I can find a. Uh, yeah, demon attack was a. Uh, was an old. So I remember Revenge. Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like they could legit make a movie. Just to expand on the backstory of that, because it's, it's so iconic to, like... Yeah, it's one of those things, too. Like, I, something about that game always... Like, you always got the impression there was this big story, but they didn't give it to you. Yeah. And you're, like... And you're trying to play the game, and you're just this bug thing, and... 
Uh, I mean, you can figure the mechanics out real quick. There's like this field that you can stay in uh, where you're relatively safe. But you can't shoot. You're, you're safe from that little pod thing that chases you, but yeah. you can't shoot. You can but, still get hit by the laser or, or the, the saw blade. But that little that little thing that tracks you, that's what it does. Like even though, like if you touch it outside the field, it'll kill you, but if you're in the field and it touches you, that's how it tracks you with to shoot you with the saw blade. So hmm. like you have to sit there and once it fires, you just move out of the way. But, hmm. See, I always thought the, uh, at least I think it is, it's been a while. I always thought just like you stayed still long enough, like it shoots you no matter where you was. And it's just one of those things where hmm. you're safe in the field and that's, that's kind of where it shoots you. Like I didn't really know if that was. Well, see, I, what I would always do is because you could, if you go up on the screen, you come out the bottom yeah. of the screen. I would just sit there at the edge in the field and then wait for that thing to get ready to fire and then just move up and then completely out of its way and then come over here and start eating the field. Yeah. Again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you do. You sit in the center, you just race in the middle and stuff, and then fire it, mm -hmm. and then you go and start. And then, if you ate enough, you got a little missile that you could fire. And once you hit yeah. the little thing in the middle, it would go on to the next stage. I sit there one day, all day, trying to beat, quote unquote, beat that game, and never got to an end. And it's my understanding that it doesn't really have an end. It it's just alternates between like two different levels. It's like a, I want to yeah. say like the fourth level is like kind of like roundish, and then like another one's like square. And yeah, go back around and square, but like the the one that's. Uh, rectangular is moving though it's weird you can't see yeah. it when you start biting it the little holes move back and forth yeah and then uh but yeah the uh the the color changes eventually from red to blue on the field mm -hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't tell you how many hours i spent one day I, I had the intention of beating that game and putting it behind me and i never did get to the end and like uh i i probably i don't know how many let's look this up I kind of want to know. It was about like 255, 256 to get to the kill screen. Yars Revenge <laughs> Kill Screen. Or what it looks like. But yeah, like, because you can look at the cover of that game and like the box art, and it, it's got like the, you know, kind of like insect dude flying around with like this little blaster in his hand. He's being chased by those, like, he just. There's something there. Like, oh, they need to expand on the story. Like all these years later, they just come out with like a sequel or something. All those games are like that though, because the graphics were terrible. So they put all these amazing, like paintings on the covers, like to drive your imagination. But still, it's like all the games that one needs to expand on the most. Like it had some interesting effects, like um, the sound too. Like, like whenever uh, you you successfully shot the little ship thing in the middle and you ate through the shield, it had this crazy effect of uh, these weird colors coming together. Yeah, you remember that when it would transport you to the next stage? And I didn't that that was blew me away because I didn't know the twenty six hundred could even do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was like. Um, you know I'm not finding the kill screen. I do not know. There's a lot of images though. Uh, yeah, that is some killer artwork on the cover, even today. It definitely looks dated, but I mean, it's still. 
1982. I think I got got it probably around 84, 85. So it's kind of weird, like, I the, probably the first video game I ever played was Pong, but it was, uh, I remember I was a little kid and I asked my mom for a 2600 for Christmas. And she was like, I could tell, I knew she wasn't like real enthused about that. And I was like, I don't want anything else, just just the 2600 will be fine. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. And uh, that, that blew her away a little bit. But it was, it's funny because like, I was all excited to get this and it was the it was Christmas, 1984, and like spring 1985, the commercials for the NES hit. So I got my 2600 like right before the NES dropped. It's like that figures, and that just set, sort of set the the tone for my whole life. Yeah. Really. It's like I got I got my NES in Christmas of '88. And that was like, if I'm not mistaken, that well, that was a little bit before Genesis dropped, but still. Apparently there's like mobile versions, like, check that out. Oh, that's pretty, pretty slick. They, uh, they have apparently made some new ones. They're probably like knockoffs, I don't know if they're like official, but still, it's kind of neat to... Yeah. I, I swear one of them was like a straight like a 3D game. There was a Defender. It was like a yeah. Atari game that they uh, they put out for like the Actually, PlayStation I believe, Two. I, say. I believe Defender was originally an arcade game that was ported to Atari. Yeah, um, fortunately, the, the twenty six hundred had a really, really, really shitty track record when it came to arcade ports. I mean, they had a lot of them, and they all sucked. Yeah. The Pac Man port sucked. The Frogger port sucked. The Mystical Man, Centipede. Yeah, Mystical Man wasn't too bad on twenty. See, the thing is, I first played those games on the 2600, so... Yeah. Well, I some of them I did, some of them I didn't. Pat I didn't have a chance to play Gattaca the other day, or Galactica, or... Galaga? Galaga, yeah. yeah. Um, I was... Where was I? I was hanging out with my cousin and, like, his kid. We was over, like, Gay Town or something. You know, some pizza place like an arcade, yeah. and it's just like, well, there's a there's no arcade cabinet. Of course I'm going to check it out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just to actually play it with like the the stick and the buttons, which is like kind of un- unworldly. And then you get you get like you know younger kids and stuff like kind of looking like what are you, what are you doing there? Like you know they're playing all these other flashy games. I'm like I'm beating the shit out of the game is what I'm doing. <laughs> and they're like you just kind of get the, the impression that it's like you're a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah. Good times though. I want, at some point in the future, to probably set up a main box, like you know, get an yeah, arcade cabinet. Like I've known some people who did that, or at least had planned on until they were finished it. But I've seen a lot of people take old arcade cabinets and get the new. Because there's companies that you can buy the like newer mm-hmm. mockies or get new ones made, like have them customized, whatever you want. Oh yeah. You can buy the whole like stick with the button set up and their software. I think some of the cooler software they've made though for for like main front ends or whatever for arcade actual arcade machines for that usually runs on Windows unfortunately. I don't yeah. think they made any cool ones for Linux. There's some progress being made with like a retro arch. Yeah. Um, it's trying to unify all the 
game emulators, but it's kind of hit or miss. Um, where they're trying to abstract it out, I, I think it makes it more resource hungry. So, I recently discovered a very interesting NES emulator. You should probably check out Poonus. Poons? I don't know. It's like PU and then NES. Don't know what the deal is, but I just just discovered it actually on slackbuilds.org. I was like, what is this? This is a NES emulator I've, I've never seen before. It, it could be old. It could be, it could be something nobody even keeps up anymore for all I know. But it's like, I really like the way the emulator's set up. It's like, this is kind of nice. <laughs> uh, I think I was, I was all about the B-minus. Uh, oh, that's the Tiger now. Yeah. It used to be Beastness. No, it's it's weird because they'll, they'll change the name of projects. Like, you know, you we talked about Crunch Bang being in uh, Bunks and Labs, and now it's just like, why don't I just keep it out? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, actually, there's a story behind that because the original guy who did Crunch Bang uh, was ending the project, and he said the community wanted to keep going with it, and he said he was fine with that, but they could call it Crunch Bang, and he called it something else. So in the there was a uh, like a couple of the editions of Crunchbang were like named after one was Statler, one was Waldorf. There were mm -hmm. the old guys in the Muppets that, that heckled, yeah. that heckled them or whatever. And so they are not half bad. No half good either. Yeah. So in the in the same tradition of using the Muppets, they called Buns and Lambs after uh, Buns and Honeydew or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I I. I and I've told you this, but I'm not. I really like Crunch Bang, but I'm not a Debian person. And I like Bunsen Labs, but it's. I just don't like where Debian's going, so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's just like a. It's like a thing I told you. Uh, in the context of the Cathedral of the Bazaar, <laughs> System D is kind of like a Walmart. It's like, yeah, you can shop there, but it's you're pretty much just doing it on their terms. Yeah. There's a, and that's why I keep recommending Boyd Linux. Um, you like back here, it's like OpenRC scripts or something like that, or run it, something that's not systemd, kind of gets away from all of that. I guess why it pissed me off so bad was that. When system D came out, like we always used to say, Linux is about choice. Linux is about choice. Okay, well now my choices went down from if I choose not to use system D, my choice goes from four hundred to four. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the problem with that too is like everybody moved away from thirty-two bit architecture to sixty-four, which kind of makes sense, but it's like yeah, you're just lost out on like so many devices that are still perfectly capable. Yep, we're actually recording on a thirty-two bit device right now. Nice. Yeah, I have a lot of 32-bit hardware that I can still press into service, so I kind of went back to Slackware for now. Hopefully, there's I don't think there's any plans to put System D in it, but I'm fine with the BSD style on it. But yeah. Hmm. I was going to say that you do System D in 64. Like I, I can't imagine there's too many that would still repackage it as like 32. Bunsen Labs has a 32-bit version. Oh. I think Debian still supports 32-bit for the time. I would swear to that, but I know like some of the like Linux Mint has 32-bit still. Which one was the uh, 
But they, a lot of them will only support like the later 32-bit processors with PAE support. Yeah. Like, well, um, like I can see that too. Bunsen Labs does have one that's non-PAE kernel though. You can get the old stuff. Was it Debian that had like this super supported architecture where it's like you could install it and like anything like toast? I know they used to. Um, that was. I don't know if they still do. I know some of the BSDs are like that. Like NetBSD is mm -hmm. like that. They're, that's their whole big thing. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where like, can we install Linux on whatever? You know, nobody stopped to ask, should they? But I mean, the, the point was they could. So it like, it became a distribution where it's like you can install on like you know, PlayStations, Xboxes, cell phones. Uh, well, I think like to NetBSD and I think at least Debian at one point used to support a lot of older architectures aren't around anymore stuff like RISC and Alpha mm -hmm. and shit like that um, you know, really old stuff but the problem is is like we're getting to a point now where even if you compile the stuff to run on some of that old stuff you're not going to get the software's not going to run on it you know <laughs> what I mean like, like even if I could get say whatever I might be able to install Slackware on a 486 with 8 megs of RAM, but what am I going to actually do on there? Yeah. So it's like, well, it's mm. it's a matter of feature creep. Like you, you get a project that you know it grows and it grows because people, hey, well, that, this is cool, but can we add this feature and this feature and this feature and this feature? And until it's so bloated, it's like someone else is like, well, we're like, uh, we we just kind of need to start from scratch with something smaller. So this is the direction we're going to take it, and get a third one that comes out, and then add another whatever. But over time, they just add so much to it that uh, it just no longer runs. It's well, like yeah. and there's there's a couple of cases where it's like there's a package that has been like version locked, like you know no longer supported, but it doesn't have any like you know hardcore known security issues. Like they, they'll still do like security patches for it. Like oh, you found a way to you know, hack into cover that hole, but they don't add features and it just stays there. And then it becomes discontinued because, oh, this hasn't been updated in like, you know, three years. So obviously it's junk and let's go with this other thing. But it's like, it still works though. Yeah. I have that issue right now with, um, there's an emulator I really like called Kega Fusion. And I don't think it's been, up, I don't think the code's actually been updated since 2009, I think. Yeah. And I absolutely love that emulator because, um, the way he wrote that was he was trying to really more emulate those CPUs than uh, than anything, so it's very accurate. I mean, I'm sure it's not 100% perfect, but and the way the way it's set up, you can with that one emulator, you can emulate the Sega Master System, the Game Gear, uh, the Genesis or Mega Drive, whatever you call it. Um, the 32X and Sega CD, and it's all there in one package, and all you really need is, uh, I guess, the Sega CD BIOS. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome, and I love it, and it does a really good job. It's got a high compatibility level. You know, I've not seen anything. I haven't run everything on it either, but I haven't seen anything that it hasn't run for me, yeah. and um, I really dig it. But now, one of the problems I'm running into is that it's 32-bit code, and it requires, like, one of the libraries that it depends on has moved on, and like if you're running, even if you're running like a, a, a multi-arch you know, yeah, system, kind of system, yeah, it's like the one of the libraries it needs is 64-bit, and it's 
Yeah. <laughs> you just throw your hands up like, damn it. Well, it's just like the Arch Linux, which is uh, 64-bit only, and, you know, that's what I was running for a long time. And trying to run Steam on it, because I don't play a lot of games anymore, if they're, you know, I play a lot of older games, but, like, you know, every once in a while I was dabbling in Steam, and it was just like, they dropped 32-bit support, they don't do multi-lib anymore, so now it's a question of, like, how do you get Steam on it, because it's, like, 32-bit only at the last time I checked. So there's all this like encapsulation you had to do, or like you had to run like basically a separate system within a system, and yeah. it just became a, this headache. At that point, you'd probably be better off just running a 32-bit in a virtual machine or something. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's almost like you, you kind of want to embrace certain certain things. Like Steam's one of those things where they they kind of started putting out games geared towards Linux. You kind of want to support that. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you. You would think that'd be like the main selling point because, like, a lot of people is like, "Hey, why aren't you running on freedom of software?" It's like, "Oh, you know, like my games." Uh, we have Steam, and you know. Yeah, it feels like a shoot yourself in the foot kind of move. Yeah. In a way, I, I don't know. I, I get like everybody likes it shiny and fancy and the latest and greatest, but you know, traditionally Linux has always been we're. We're a little behind the times in hardware support, and that's okay. You know, we just wait for support for the newest. Yeah, if you don't like mm-hmm. it, you know, cobble up your own solution, and mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. But now it's getting to the point where it's like, if you don't agree with certain ideologies, yeah. you know, you're not a part of the community. And so like, I think this happened, a lot of this happened, not to point fingers and, and bitch, but like around the time when Ubuntu hit hit the thing right around the time Vista came out. And Vista yeah. was universally lauded as crap, and then a lot of people left, and Ubuntu was this easy-to-use version of Linux. Yeah. And a lot of people came to Linux through Ubuntu that way, but then they all started bitching about things. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know that sounds bad, but it's like, why can't this be easier? And why can't it be like this and that? And I don't know, I feel like that's why some distros are a little more bloated than others. <laughs> it's yeah. all in catering, basically. Yeah, it's like, which I can see that. It's like, not not to be like ripping on any <laughs> given subsection of like the community, but it seems like there's a certain point when you grow out of Ubuntu. Yeah. Um, typically, I see people like, hey, what Linux should I try? And they go Ubuntu, and then they'll typically jump up to Mint, or they'll realize it's based on Debian. Like try that out, or you know the the distro hop, and they might settle back into it. But if you've only been using Debian or Ubuntu or like Mint, there's there's a lot of other options out there, and without really seeing everything else, you kind of get locked into the mindset that that's all there is, and it basically becomes its own cathedral where it's just like. You know, when they have a design decision to just like support some, you know, like system D, and it's like nobody's really saying, can we also run this other thing or instead of, or no, it's just pretty much, you know, support this across the board. Two, that you run into this weird thing too, where like a bunch of systems like Ubuntu, where it's like all graphical, and a lot of people who come to those, their mindset is, the command line is a hindrance and we don't want to rely on it at all. Yeah. We want graphical, 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 graphical. You, you've excised the whole, like, 
you, you, that's a shoot yourself in the foot kind of move too without mm -hmm. realizing it. I'm not going to go into all that, but uh, it's like it creates the schism where you've got people who are into the command line or comfortable with command line going. You, you get these distros where like things are like overly complex because we hate graphical. These people who bitch about things being graphical all the time. And, and then like so the CLI doesn't really seem like it grows organically either because it gets you know everybody who's involved with that gets pissed off because all these other people are bitching and wanting everything to be graphical. And then, yeah, I don't know. But that seems like what happens. So it causes problems across the board. Well, there's two definitions of user-friendly and they are diametrically opposed. There's user-friendly like you sit down on a computer and it caters to you and that's user-friendly. And there's also user-friendly in the sense where I work with a computer every day. Well, let me do it the right way. Um, and it, that's from like I don't strictly like Windows because you know you, you try to use it and it's like they're, they're catering to people that haven't spent their life in front of a screen yeah. and they kind of do things that's it's intuitive but it's not efficient but for me it feels like I'm fighting with the operating system yes. to make it do what I want to do all the fucking time like in <laughs> Linux like I'll have it to where like when I boot it, when I boot my Linux box it is just right to the command line, but it's it's graphical, you know, it's, it's actually running like a i3, or actually right now it's running black poison, but it looks like I just booted into the command line because that's where I do everything, like I don't need any, any graphical components, but like if I do want to, you know, surf the web outside of like, you know, W3M or, you know, links or whatever, uh, you know, I load it like, you know, Chrome or something, but it's still command line, but it has the capabilities to like spawn graphical windows. And for somebody that's not used to that, they'll, they'll sit there and look at it and be like, okay, now what do I do? Like, what do I click on? It's like, moving your hand to click on something is just going to take more time. Just type it out real quick. But you have to be a fast type or, or use a keyboard, you know, shortcut keys. But if you're not learning shortcut keys, then it's like, you're never going to get better. And ideally, the, like, the shortcut keys are something you can edit, like, yeah. you know, window manager, you can set your own hotkeys or whatever you want to call them, like, yeah, like, in my, like, Microsoft Windows, you know, Alt-Tab is always going to be Alt-Tab, yeah, and if you don't know, like, Alt-Tab switches Windows, it's like, seriously, learning the key commands, but, like, I often do that in Linux, like, I don't, you know, Alt-Tab, I mean, it just makes sense, but sometimes I'll set it to something else, and I have that option, too, mm-hmm. Like right now, like I, you know, I like Vim, and I'm just going back through and redoing my Vim configuration because, you know, I kind of notice that there's better ways to do things, and it's like if you want to do it that way, then just, you know, edit a text file and just everything works. And sometimes the you know troubleshooting that's part of the process. That's how you learn like what you're actually doing. But it's like my background is I like computers because I like to see what they can do, like what, you know, I don't know the limitations, let me find a way to glitch it out, you know. Mm -hmm. But once you, like, start setting up barriers that you can't overcome, then it's just like, I don't, I don't want that, I want to be able to grow. You know, if it's something I need to learn, a tutorial I need to watch, some video, a book I gotta read, that's fine, but don't flat out prevent me from doing computer use. I think 
I think a lot of this too comes from the um, certain mentality of um, people have this daily driver mentality where I need a computer that that just works every day to do these handful of things I need it to do because of, we live in a world now where a lot of people's day jobs and their work or whatever it is they're doing yeah. requires these specific applications and when they don't work then they get in trouble because they're not doing their job or whatever but you know that's really not the world computers grew you know they, they, they're not really a computer at that point it's an appliance and that's yeah that's what we're just like the internet appliance yeah like the, the early 2000s well, it's like i have to keep a windows computer on hand for like job applications because a lot of times they'll you know maybe you got to fill out the survey to make sure that you're a candidate for this job or, or just something or you know set up your w2 information whatever Links to a government website, click it, you can check the PDF, and then you got to sign off on it. And you're like, you can get like 50% of the way through like a pure Linux system, you know, sometimes you have to trick it and make like, no, totally running Windows. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you have to, you know, do just some kind of like, some tricks to maybe you have to install like uh, Mono or uh, some kind of like Spotlight kind of. Yeah. Kind of different things to get through, just like trying to get uh, Netflix up and running on like Linux was, you know, difficult for a long time. And then towards the very final end, you, you're like, okay, let me just put a signature on this, and it just doesn't work, and you're just like, I'm, I'm kind of done with trying to like, troubleshoot my way around this. Let me just boot into Windows and just sign this piece of, you know, whatever, and just send off, and just you know, none of those steps strictly require Windows, but it's like they force you to use Windows. Yeah. As Cumulatively it's a pain in the as long as they're using like, you know, HTML five you know, the actual specification, there's no there's nothing there that says they should use one browser over another or one operating system over another. I mean, you know, HTML renders as HTML do. So why do they even check what operating system you're running? It just, it limits so much. But, that the way it be sometimes. Yeah. It's kind of weird too, like, it makes me sad, like, the only way around that, I think, is, and it's part of the reason why, like, uh, cloud computing has grown so big, mm -hmm. is because it's easier to deal with. It's easier to manage, and uh, but I don't. I don't know. I I can't imagine enjoying a computer anymore when all we have are Chromebooks. Like you yeah. know, I'm still gonna tinker with it, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's like why do we have to jailbreak a device just to use it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Uh, yeah, and sometimes people like, you know, they demonize people that jailbreak. It's like, oh, you're working warranties, which is completely not enforceable. But if, if, you have, if you have a device that you paid for and they're not letting you use it, mm -hmm. then you don't do you own really, it. Yeah, do you really <laughs> own it. Like, you don't own it. <laughs> and some, there's, there's people that say, no, you only really lease it from the company. It's like, then I, I don't want it. Yeah. Like, I want this other thing that's not going to limit me because... So I'm paying my money for it. I want to own it. It's my property, and I should be able to do what I want. As long as it's not, like, yeah. hurting anybody else, what the hell difference does it make? Yeah, like, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, the hacking that I do is just trying to like push back the boundaries of my own systems. I'm not breaking into others. I'm not trying to push their boundaries. I'm just trying to, you know, keep my little space in check. And, uh, you know, get off my lawn and mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, yeah, Blender can do <laughs> video editing. And we, 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 we have to bring that around full circle. Yeah. And, uh... Morrowind's pretty cool. The Morrowind <laughs> Project. Morrowind.org. We'll put those in the show notes. <laughs> and, uh... And Yars Revenge links. <laughs> yes. The, somebody needs to make a open open your <laughs> yes <laughs> with like a, with a custom like level editor. <laughs> you can put the you can put the force field on the top of the screen or the side. Two days later, you're fighting a Barney <laughs> in blood. Or uh, one of the best Skyrim mods I ever saw was they changed the dragons into like Thomas the Tank. All right, we should probably end this thing. <laughs> Peace. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.